This is an arranged, skewed misrepresentation of what's actually there. It's a conceptual correlation that is useless as proof of evolution because it's based on the circular logic. What is the real reality here? Is this just a bunch of nonsense, a, a composite of hoaxes and, and pranks by various people through the years? Or is there something really going on? One of the things we want to explore a little tonight is are the UFOs real? And if so, where are they from? What's their agenda? Are they friendly or hostile? Most important, what does the Bible say about them? You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, welcome back to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for tuning in this week. We've got a very special guest, but before we bring him around, my name is Basil. And I'm Gons, and uh, you know, our human history is highly uh, debated, especially the last couple centuries, with the rise of the materialistic sciences. You know, there's just been a huge debate with the history of humanity. And our guest tonight is right in the thick of this debate, and actually he's discovered and excavated some quite remarkable places all around the earth. Aaron Judkins is a researcher. He's an explorer and a professional archaeologist with a PhD in biblical archaeology. Uh, He's worked with human fossil footprints for 15 years and is credited with mapping the longest dinosaur trackway in the Western Hemisphere near Glen Rose, Texas. I hope I'm getting this right. Uh, He'll correct me when he comes on if I'm wrong here. Um, (laughs) He's the author of the book, The Alien Agenda, the Return of the Nephilim. Uh, he's also uh, released Evolution and Human Fossil Footprints, The Global Phenomenon of Human Fossil Footprints in Rock, and Academic Freedom, Exposing Evolution. Woo! Uh, and he has recently, um, just yesterday apparently, ha- released his movie The Mystery of the Decalogue Stone. I'm a totally, I'm butchering this pronunciation. <laughs> Professor Judkins, how are you doing? Hi guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Did I mess any of the uh, up of the uh, pronunciation of some of those things there? But you got everything right uh, up to the Decalogue, and then you <laughs> Decalogue. <laughs> that's okay. Right. That's okay. But it is pronounced the Decalogue. Oh man, Decalogue! Come on, Gons. I know. I got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, no one really knows what the Decalogue is anyway. So you know, the the locals over there in New Mexico just call it the Mystery Stone. Yeah, see, there's there's some words you can use, Gons. Yeah, a little Mystery more. Stone. Well, Aaron Judkins, thanks for coming on the show. I'm actually pretty excited to have you on here. You 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 deal with some very, very fascinating things, some things that we, uh, both Gons and I, love, and something, uh, you know, some things that our listeners love as well. Um, so why, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into what you do? Uh, where are you from? You know, what do you, what do you like to do on the first date? That type of thing. Okay, well, I'll, we'll talk about everything except for the first date because uh, <laughs> that'll just be boring. <laughs> you gotta keep you gotta keep the mystery alive, I guess. Okay, but uh, no, we, you know, uh, I basically had a had a passion for archaeology and history ever since I could remember. My my really got to give the grand the grandparents credit. You know, they were old rock hounds, and you know they would schedule their vacations around rock hounding, right? Rock and uh, they would always come back with, you know, a, you know, a truck full of rocks and, and I'd go out with them, you know, and that really, really just was ingrained into my blood. It was just natural for me to go out and, and to explore. And, um, but when I, you know, when I was, uh, older 
and I was trying to figure out what to do. I really had a passion for science, and so I went, you know, went for the medical field and <clears throat> practiced in the medical field for 20 years. And uh, but I did archaeology on the side, and okay. later on in life, I decided to go back and pursue that more academically. Right. Um, and um, then I really wanted just to dig in, you know, for lack of a better term, and really just get my hands dirty in the field. And that led me to places all around the world uh, as far as archaeology is concerned. And, and what I found was really intriguing. You know, I, I'm a Christian. I, I was raised in a Christian family, but I was right. taught evolution in public school. Yeah. And so I really didn't know how to reconcile it. I believe the Bible, but I also uh, was taught all this macroevolution, this uniformitarian view that we evolved and i just never could reconcile that with with my faith and so right. i just was you know uh, a person and you know with a foot you know in each thing and one was supposedly scientific and the other one was just purely theological or philosophical right uh, but it wasn't until later on in life i really understood that there was solid empirical evidence for what I believed, that the okay. Bible was backed up actually by science, and in the archaeological record it was confirmed, even through extra-biblical sources, and that just blew me away. Right, and that is, I'm already getting a little bit jittery and giggly here, because this is, um, I mean, that is a huge thing for especially uh, of the show is reconciling, uh, you know, science and uh, um, secular sort of uh, academia with Christianity, and um, that's really fascinating that you bring that up. How did how did you uh, get into sort of biblical archaeology? And I don't know. And how did you get, gain the freedom to do that? Well, when when I was visiting uh, a little town in Texas southwest of Fort Worth called Glenrose, Texas. Now, your listeners may be familiar with that area because it's home of Dinosaur Valley State Park, and it's right. home to the Pluxy River, and it's home to several dinosaur tracks, but there was a big controversy going on that there were human fossil footprints in the Pluxy. Now, I didn't know anything about those things, but I went there and visited the little Creation Evidence Museum. At the time, they were just... Um, in a small uh, museum, and interesting, what, I, interesting. what I saw, you know, I really blew me away. I was never taught any of this, and I never heard any of this. I never heard, um, you know, I, I just didn't know what to do with the dinosaurs. And, and, you know, the dinosaurs to me were millions of years ago, and they were, and, and, and it, they were just in a separate world, the lost world, if you will. Huh. And so, um, but, but when I went to that museum, that really uh, opened up the door for a lot of, I guess, investigations, because I really wanted to pursue the truth for myself. And just those questions for me personally, I needed to have some answers. And I was really never taught this. No one really had a grasp of it to, to even, you know, talk about it. So... Right. You know, dinosaurs were just millions of years ago, and you know, the Bible doesn't talk about it. And we got bigger issues. You know, we need to we need to focus on you know the 
the Noah's Ark and, you know, them going in two by two. (laughs) But what I didn't realize was that the animals actually went in by sevens because they were clean. The two by two animals went in because they were unclean. And so there was a lot of specifics and details I was never taught. And so when I went to this little museum, they had answers, not only biblical answers for these questions, but they also had scientific verification and answers to back it up. And that's the part that I was missing. And that really began to reconcile a lot of these things, a lot of these questions in my mind. And I realized that the Bible was right after all. I did not have to change it. And so, and so for me, that really, that really, you know, turned the light on for me. And, and it really solidified my faith, I guess, uh, in the sense that I knew that the Bible was true, but now I knew and had a greater understanding and appreciation for for the Bible. I love that. I love that. So you so you visited this creationist museum. Now, just as an example, what uh, what's a piece of evidence that uh, that really struck you in there? Well, it, you know the. The big thing over there was the you know the human fossil footprint controversy. Now they had uh, um, discovered these human fossil footprints in the riverbed. Now I had no idea about this. I was never exposed to any of this. Uh, I was somewhat familiar with the Lake Tolly tracks, but only because of you know public education. But but that was you know three point six million years ago and it had nothing to do with me. So. But when I when I went down there, I, actually the day I visited the museum, they um, they had an excavation going on, and so uh, I said, "Well, you know, is there a way that I can go down there and just look and see what they're doing?" I said, "Sure." So I went down there, looked. They had sandbagged um, part of the area and were working on it, and I wanted to get up a little closer to look, and so they they said I can come up, and I saw this trail in situ with my own eyes of these human fossil footprints in the limestone riverbed, which is Cretaceous rock. And so that, that really to me was, um, it, it changed my whole paradigm uh, because that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be in there. And so I, that really led me on a 15 year investigation about what I was on. I started attending, you know, these excavations. I thought, well, you know, if I could attend these excavations and just see for myself, because it's very difficult to, to carve something under 14 inches of limestone, that right. if there was truly human fossil footprints in the, in the bedrock of Glen Rose, it would be under the layers. And so, and then I realized that, you know, Glen Rose is not the only place in the world that has the they are all over the world. And so when I began to do all this research, I realized this is not isolated to a little river in Glenrose. This is a global phenomenon. So I wrote the book, um, you know, The Global Phenomenon of Human Fossil Footprints and Rock. Right. Because it is not isolated in one spot. There's basically, like Tully is probably the, the one people would probably most recognize in Africa with Mary Leakey back in the 1970s. But, mm-hmm. you know, so, so people... So these, so these human footprints in rock, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean uh, either A, 
uh, fossils or uh, rock formations form faster than we originally thought, or there were humans billions and billions of years ago? Well, that's, that's obviously the two conclusions one has to come to is you have to push man back millions of years to the Cretaceous, which they say is 110, 120 million years, years ago. Well, there, there's no, no one going to do that. Right. That's just way too far back, you know, even for the evolutionists. So, so you have to look at the other alternative. And then it's human, these are human footprints, like uh, homo sapien footprints. These aren't monkey footprints. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, te- the technical correct term is homo sapien, sapien. That's the that's the evolutionist term for okay. modern man. But um, yeah, that's what we're talking about, and it's so controversial even to this day. Some people just refuse to believe, you know, the evidence and empirically, objectively look at the. Now, I understand that we all have, um, you know, a bias that we bring to the table. And we look at the same evidence, but because of our preconceptions and our presuppositions, we interpret the evidence differently. Now, I, I give, you know, I give the naysayers that, but you also have to give me that. Right. I've been on that river for over 15 years, every year excavating. And so when people just quickly dismiss it um, without really looking at the research that I've done on it, it, it it, it seems to me they've already, they've already made up their mind. That's okay. It's a free country. I, yeah. I still think it's a free country. I hope so. But, <laughs> but if you've got the right to disagree, that's fine. But, but to just quickly dismiss, what are you going to do with all the other evidence around the world? And so when I, when, when I talk to people about this, they are amazed that, you know, there's, there's other footprints. But we're talking about human fossil footprints. So what do you do with it? Well, you, the, the other logical conclusion is or what you have to ask is maybe they're dating that rock totally wrong right and, and so it's into a whole nother ball of wax when you're talking about dating technique of inorganic rock how do you do that you know, you know there's ways that they try to do it but because they interpret it through the geological column of long evolutionary time called uniformitarianism that really in their presupposition of, of macroevolution says that through long processes of time, this, this, you know, all these, all these layers occur. Right. And they want you, they want us to believe that the present's the key to the past, but it's not. And through mm-hmm. the biblical worldview, which is the, the framework that I look through it and I'm open about it is that this is, and, the geolo- and, then, and you're talking about geology here, but when you're talking about the rocks, you have to talk about geology, and it shows not long ages of millions of years. It shows just the opposite. It shows recent catastrophe in a global scale, and the Bible talks about that, and and there's evidence to support that. But because of the way the evidence gets interpreted, mm-hmm. we have we have a you know, a system that indoctrinates that right. into the minds and the hearts of the students. And so, even if you simply question if evolution is true, right. Right. Uh, you are at risk for not even passing your course. And, mm-hmm. and professors are more open about that now than ever. And, and science should be the... Science should be self-correcting. You're right. It should be the art of 
I say art, but it should be it should be the scientific method. You know, yep. that the asking the questions and testing and repeating and observing, predicting, and most importantly, falsifying. Yeah. So when you get into all that, it it really fails its own test. But when you're talking about human fossil footprints, it's such a hot topic um, that people have pretty much already decided either way. Um, but for me, it's, that's how I really got started into the investigation of, of the evidence on the Plexi River. So do you think if, if somebody came at this completely uh, free of any bias or presuppositions and they started fresh on a clean slate and looked at the evidence objectively, would you say that the creation view has more evidence to support it than what the secular sort of archaeological community is proposing? And what are they? Do they, re- do they have an answer or do they just... Did they just chalk it up to evolution, and, and it's just uh, something that we haven't figured out yet with these human footprints? Well, you get you get both camps. Uh, I've, I've had people from all over the world come. Uh, I've had the Japanese come. We've had German television. We've had Nova. Um, we've had three major uh, documentaries uh, filmed last uh, last year and this year. Wow. Year. Uh, they're they're not out yet. Uh, one is going to be out. Uh, both of them are going to be out in 2013, I think. But but um, I've had people from all over the states come just to see Glen Rose evidence. And and if the water table is dry enough, now unfortunately it doesn't mean that the farmers get rain, but it's got to be dry. That's the limestone bottom on that river. And so when we don't have rain here, in 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 Texas, it, that river dries up and it evaporates <laughs> and it exposes all the track. So for, for track hunting, you know, it, it's good, but for everybody else, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not too good right. uh, when, when people need rain. But, um, but I've taken them down there and showed them, you know, these tracks and showed them the platform we excavated on. I've showed yeah. them new evidence uh, that I personally discovered in other areas. And so, um, but you get mixed reactions. In, in most in most cases, you get people that, when they see the tracks and, and they're in their in situ and they can see them, then you can see the light comes on and, and they they're now they're questioning, you know, what they've been taught and 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 they're realizing that, hey, I've been lied to. Right. The Bible's, the Bible's been right after all. The second camp is. I don't see anything because I don't want to see anything or, or they chalk it up to just dinosaur tracks. And, and I can understand those arguments. Um, I'm not, I'm not dogmatic in my argument for it. To be honest with you, I'm a proponent of it. There's not many proponents of it. I have to tell you that. So, um, I've, I've, you know, that's fine. Um, I just, I just present the evidence, let the evidence speak for themselves. It, it 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 doesn't matter to me if people believe it or not, but I know what I believe, and I'm personally convinced of it. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you're you talking about you have such a wide range of people. I just sort of imagine uh, you've taken down a group of uh, German scientists or filmmakers or sightseers or something and showing yeah. them, and then they're just like, oh, this, I don't know. I yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, I, you know, I say this say this with all respect but but you know the japanese you know when they come they have one interpreter 
and to interpret. So, you, you know, and I took them down to the river and, and, uh, they all got a camera, you know? And so after the interpretation is made, you know, they go, Oh, and then all the flashes go off. You hear all these cameras click, you know, it was just the greatest thing. You know, we, we really had a great time, uh, with them. Um, but when, when people come and see this, it's kind of that wow reaction that the Japanese have, you know, wow, you know, because they're, they're so excited about, uh, about this evidence, but not only the evidence in human fossil footprints. And I tell people, look, it's, it's bigger than this. Right. If this is all you're getting, you're missing the point. Yes. The point is not about human fossil footprints and it's not about dinosaur tracks, frankly, even though I've excavated probably up in the range of, um, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred dinosaur tracks over 17, 18 years now. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, paleontology guys, uh, who who teach who've never excavated one dinosaur track. Right. So I've got a lot of field experience, but I just tell people, look, it's bigger than this. And the point is this, it's not about these tracks. The point is, are you going to miss the next boat? Because the judgment came and people missed the boat. And, 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 and they perished in the flood. Yeah. And they didn't have to. And look, there's another judgment coming. That judgment was because of sin. And we have, we have a price that was paid. We can never pay that price. But a right. price was paid for us on our behalf. On our behalf. And, and now that judgment has, we're redeemed. And it's a free gift. We don't yeah. have to, we don't have to go through that, that second death. And, uh, can have that free gift of eternal life. So there's a bigger picture, you know, that I use with it, and that really led me into, um, you know, going and, and, and looking at other archaeological evidences around the world. And mm-hmm. because of that, that led me into uh, developing my own ministry and versus archaeology. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, if I put myself in a situation where I was showing some people uh, what you show them and they take pictures and, and go home. I, I just kind of want to grab them and shake them and tell them exactly what you just said, that it's, it's not just about the footprints. That's it's not, it's not, yeah. I've had, you know, I've had people come that were older creationists. Right. Um, and that's a whole nother topic because I, I happen to believe in younger creation. Okay. Um, but, but I've had some older earthers coming. I didn't even know it. And I, I've, I just present the evidence and, 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 and I let it speak for itself. And, you know, and after, after I do that, they, they admit, Hey, I'm, I've held old earth creation views and God bless them. They're Christians. They love the Lord. And, 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 you know, it's not a salvation issue, Yeah. but they start to say, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe I've been wrong in, in some of these. And, and I tell people, look, I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm not dogmatic in, in, in this, but I know what the Bible has said about it, and I know that there's scientific evidence to support it. And you still you still uh are are um are honest and uh and cling to the scientific method at the same time and that's what's what's brought you to your conclusions. So Yeah, well if, you, you have to have you have to have some kind of um you know, method that you use. Right. Uh, now, 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 you know, 
I'm not saying uh, faith doesn't have a, a place. It does. But yeah, scientifically, these things are, are verifiable. And, and even if you look at the big picture in, in just mainstream science, if you look mm-hmm. at the big picture and you look at all the fields, I have a great friend named Joe Taylor. Joe Taylor is one of my buds. We've, we've dug a lot of dinosaurs together. You know, he's the guy that's got the long beard. He's the director of Mount Blanco Fossil Museum. Right. He just wrote a new book called Giants Against Evolution. Great guys on Coast to Coast as well. Uh, so, not too long after I was. But um, Joe is, uh, uh, you know, Joe is a guy that, that, that knows bones. And, and we've done a lot of work together in the past. So these things are, are um, you know, these things are, I guess, most people don't delve into them because they don't have time. They don't want to get out in the dirt. And it's right. hard work, you know. But, but I, I like to do it. And I simply try to present the evidence in a clear fashion for people to make up their own mind. That what I found clearly refutes the theory of evolution. That's great. I love that. And I love also how wide your, um, your study goes. And uh, Gons, what you, uh, I hear you doing something over there. Got something? <laughs> well, yeah, just uh, a couple questions just to kind of keep digging in here. I want to get to the Nephilim and the aliens eventually, but I kind of want to ease into it. But you have a book called uh, Academic Freedom Exposing Evolution. And um, and you had just mentioned how, you know, yep. uh, your friend there that wrote the book about giants and how that sort of puts a little a little problem in the the theory of evolution there but what's been some of your research based on exposing evolution what what is it that led you to title your book that and and just some of the evidence that clearly indicates that there are some major problems with evolution that gets taught in i mean i i had the same thing i grew up um i I did not grow up in a christian home but i had the secular education evolution was just taught as fact i recall even in college asking the professor questions about it because um, I was just curious about it, and some of those answers were unsatisfactory, which is interesting because you know I wasn't uh, saved at that point, but I still had questions, and I, I was still doubtful of evolution even then. So, what are some of the things that you found that uh, that had led you to write that book, and and how it all ties in together as we sort of march towards the whole uh, idea of the Nephilim and giants and and all that stuff? Well, um, you know, I, I, I get into several. Um, aspects in the book about um, geology, uh, about the cell, about the fossil record. And, and so I kind of hone in, uh, talk about horse evolution. Um, but uh, I just tried to, to hone in on, on several of these subjects and, and to zero in to show that, um, that evolution has never occurred. And so, you know, for instance, in the, um, you know, in the, in the, in the human anatomy of, of, of our body, we are so intricately designed and it's so complicated that even Charles Darwin could not get around the fact that the eye is so complex that it shows design and he could never get around that. Now, he never knew about DNA, but if he did, that would have been another roadblock for him. And it's now to the point where scientifically we have advanced genetically to to look at these things and and 
life is so complex and it's a delicate balance. If you just remove one, um, one function of the cell, uh, say the, say the mitochondria or the, the Golgi bodies or, or the ribosomes or any, any function of that cell and you just remove one part of it, it dies. Right. And that's not evolution. Look, a, 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 a dead fossil never can never prove anything. It's a right. record of a dead organism. If evolution's true, there should be transitional fossil forms, millions of them in the fossil record, and right. there is not. It's called stasis because there's nothing after the so-called Cambrian explosion at the bottom of the geological record. There is nothing but records of dead organisms. I've got fossils in my office right now that show bats, that show um, fish, that show leaves, scorpions, that are still around today. Now, they're smaller. I mean, we got dragonflies in the fossil record that have wingspans of three feet long. But they're still a bat. They're still scorpions. They're, they're still fishes. The coelacanth is a great example. It's called a living fossil. They thought that was extinct millions of years ago. But yet, off the... Cape of South Africa, some fishermen caught it back in the 40s, and they realized that the coelacanth still exists. They just, they're really deep uh, dwellers. They're, you know, I think they were down around 1,000 feet, um, and, and they're, they're, they're tremendous fish. They look prehistoric, but when you look at an alligator or a crocodile, it looks prehistoric. When I look right. at a rhinoceros, right. it looks prehistoric. So you can't really gauge, you know, uh, but just by looks, but these are, are examples. And so getting back to the, to the cellular biology, scientists have now learned that in the mitochondrial DNA, and this goes back, you know, years ago now, but the, the scientists learned that in the mitochondrial DNA that is present in all females, it pointed back to what they called a genetic Eve. And that genetic Eve was a single female from which all females come from. And when they, when, they, when they ran the clock on genetic Eve, and, and this, is, this is a secular source, they got a mere 6,000 years old for genetic Eve. Now, this, <laughs> is, a, this is a secular publication. Right. This, so, it again, confirms the Bible account. Look, the Bible never changes. Our story, the record of the creation account has never, ever changed. Now, there's, I know there's seven different theories of creation. You get the long ages, and you get the young age, and, and you get the progressive, you know, day creation, and it's, there's, different, there's different theories about the creation, but I'm saying that the story overall of creation account has never changed. And, and, but when you look at evolution, well, they're always changing their story. Well, right. hey, we got the next Holy Grail here. It was called Ida a few years ago. And before they ever publicly released it, they had a two-hour documentary and a book and a bunch of other stuff out on it. And it ends up being an extinct lemur. And what they don't tell, what they, what they don't tell people is, you know, is that that lemur, um, you know, it, it, you know, they wanted to call it, you know, a, a transitional form, but it's not. What all monkeys, apes, bonobos, 
lemurs, uh, all gorillas, in their ankle of their feet, in the ankle of our feet, by the way, we have a bone called the talus bone. And that talus bone, for us and humans, gives us the ability to stand upright, and it gives us the ability to bear weight on our feet. But we have a limited range of motion with our feet. You can flex it, and you can extend it, but you can't go very far. Now, right. in apes and in the in the in, in those creatures, their talus bone sit, tilts backwards. It's reversed because it allows them to give greater flexion, so they can swing in the trees with their feet. They're basically four hands, right? And so we don't have that capability. But they never tell people this. Uh, you know, the Smithsonian, um, uh, you know, had a had a display, uh, and I believe it's still on display called Morgie. And Morgie is a little rat, and they spent $20 million on Morgie, and they put it in a nice life-size bronze at the height of the children where they could come out and pet and meet their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. so this is really how, how evidence is being presented in a, uh, in a very... I believe, um, misleading and um, basically, um, I, I, well, it, it's just downright, um, you know, false information. It's just it's misleading people, and, and it leads people away from the truth. And the Chicago Film Museum, uh, they depict Lucy with, with, with white sclera around her eyes to depict a soul in her. Right. Just like we have white sclera. But look, when you go back and you look at all the feet of the Australopithecus afarensis and Australopithecus um, africanus and, and all the homo line, okay, in the supposed transitional line, all their feet are human. They're never changed. There's right. no transitional, there's no evolution going on. So, <laughs> again, time after time after time, we catch them uh, either changing the story or changing the evidence or presenting the evidence in a very irresponsible way to prove their point. They are holding on to a theory, and might, might I add an antiquated theory, with their life. The reason right. why they do that is because they will not and cannot accept the notion of a God. Right. And so... They hang on to this theory for all they're worth, and and it, it's 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 quite quite um, I don't know. It, yeah. At times it's it's amazing. At times it's 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 perplexing. At yeah. times it's just aggravating that why they do this. But uh, you know they they continually are 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 doing these things now. Yeah. In your area of study, I mean, uh, are you running into, um, oh, I don't know, are, are, are people coming against your findings? Are, are other uh, archaeologists or paleontologists or just evolutionists in general, are, are, you, are you feeling any pushback or do they more or less just, uh, you know, plug their ears and, and sing la, 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 la? Well, they've been, they've been pushing against the Pluxy evidence for years now. They continue to do so. Um, in their minds, it's um, it's a settled, done deal, closed case. 
um, I still am involved actively in the evidence because um, I think it's important that 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 ev- that research continues, and that's my role in that. Uh, so yes, they push they push against it. That's fine. I I really don't care. Um, I'm after the truth, and right. I'm um, my job is to present the truth. I don't cover the truth of of uh, of these things. Right. And so I think it's important that people know you have to present the, the, the evidence to people to make a clear decision. And if you're only presenting one side of anything, that's not science. And listen, right. when Austin was, was, was thinking about changing the textbooks from eighth grade to 12th grade a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, and, and what I didn't realize is when I, when I was writing that book, uh, academic freedom, exposing evolution, they don't change the textbooks for another 15 years. Right. So, you know, this is a done deal. Once it goes in those textbooks, and because Texas is such a large state that whatever Texas adopts in their science curriculum, well, because the other states aren't going to re- reinvent the wheel, so to speak, they're just going to adopt the same curriculum. So it gets spread to every other state who right. wants to adopt that because they want to buy these same textbooks. So it's a really critical issue in the fact that what they're putting in there in uh, Texas, as you know, is a conservative state, um, and on the on the on the school board uh, uh, committee um, down there, they actually have people come and testify to to see, okay, you know, um, what should we do with these textbooks? Because there was a big push to get the Texas mandate thrown out at the time, which was to critically analyze and evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of evolution, and right. the evolutionists. Why did that mandate thrown out? That is I, bizarre. And my, my thinking silly. is why that is supposed to be science. If you're really scientific, it you, you need to allow students to be able to critically analyze the strengths and weaknesses of any theory. I don't right. care if it's the theory of gravity. The theory of gravity is only a law now because it's been provable, testable, it's repeatable, it's observable, it's predictable, and no one has falsified it. That becomes right. a law. When you have moved into a law, it's proven empirically. Evolution has never been proven empirically because it is a philosophical science. I'm not opposed to them teaching evolution in public school, but not empirically. Right. I think they should teach it as a philosophical science and open up the side of the creation debate and say, we're not here to teach you any facts. We're... I guess in a way we're, we're we're not here to push any side. We're here to have you analyze your strengths and weaknesses of these things philosophically. Then just go home and make up your own mind. But yeah. when you, and here's what I told the state board: when you're teaching students one side of anything, you're indoctrinating these students with my tax dollars, and that is a religion. Right. Yeah, I get right. all fired up about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. We're right behind you. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. Some of the things that I'm really curious about, because you've done some excavations now, have you uh, have you come across or do you know people that have come across some bones that resemble, I guess, giants or Nephilim or, you know, we can sort of define what they are, but that's really interesting to me because I've seen, you know, we've seen the photos and, we, and then I know a lot of them are Photoshopped and stuff like that, but there are some, I guess you can call evidence that leads 
some of the fringe uh, people to believe that there were actual giants that walked around. And certainly, I think, uh, biblically speaking, that's, you know, in the Bible. So have you found anything to that? Um, in that or sort seen of anything, Or seen at anything, least. yeah, something in the ground. You know, I've, I've had a big fascination with giants um, because they were kind of like the dinosaurs, you know. And, and so to me, that was my next big thing I wanted to tackle. And uh, so I began to to really look into the giants and the Nephilim. And that really led me into the book, Alien Agenda, The Return of the Nephilim. It's not about aliens, by the way. Right. But, but, um, but yeah, the Nephilim, were, were they were real. And the Bible talks about them in Genesis 6. And uh, Nephilim is Hebrew for the fallen ones. Right. Now, people want to use that term interchangeably with the fallen angels. The Nephilim. And the fallen angels are not the same. They are two different entities. Right, right. The fallen angels are those fallen angels that rebelled and fell with Lucifer. Their offspring were the Nephilim. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that, so, so that's a whole other thing I address in the book. But I really wrote the book to, to refute the theory of cosmic evolution, which now they're, they're claiming that life, our life was seeded from ETs from other planets, by the way, and I, I re- not only refute it, I rebut it. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh, abs- but yes, I talk about some of those things in the, you know, archaeologically uh, things that were found um, in the book. We do have a chapter on on giants in the book, and um, uh, at this summer, I was um, going ahead. Uh, well, there was a museum. I'll, I'll keep it unnamed, but um, they have known. Um, archaeological remains of of giant skeletons. There we and go. They're the real thing, and um, there's real artifacts associated with them. Um, and they've been documented in the past. But when when I called uh, to let them know I was coming, they were very resistant right. uh, because they have they've they've already got exposure in the museum. Unfortunately, did not want any more exposure uh, to that because they they just don't know what to do with them. They can't explain them because it doesn't fit with the theory of evolution. So guess where they put them? They lock them down there, down in the basement, shut the door, and and no one sees them, which is a real shame because I was headed there specifically to see those. And, and, you know, we, we really wanted to just, you know, document them. Yeah. Unfortunately, over over the years, there's been a lot of cases where giant remains have been found in North America. Now, especially the Middle East, but here in North America, there's been giant remains found, and we document a lot wow. of those in the book. Um, um, in um, uh, in Rockwall, Texas, I, I went and did a, a, a man versus archaeology episode with Joe Taylor at Rockwall, Texas. Uh, near Dallas, who um, back in the 1800s, the residents uh, who were uh, founding the town of Rockwall hit a ancient rock wall while they were digging a water well. And for all intents and purposes, it was 40 foot down, and it looks like a man-made structure. So they hmm. named the town Rock Wall. Hmm. Uh, but wow. su- supposedly, in the uh, 1800s, uh, Newspapers, um, when Rockwell got founded, the newspaper came in and they um, printed in two separate um, uh, printings 
of, of uh, giant remains being found at part of the rock wall with with a door that the men entered in, and one of them was the town doctor, I believe. Um, but they went in with torchlight, and uh, they found some giant um, artifacts. Wow! And uh, it it scared them so bad that when they came running out and and they crawled back out, the town doctor there, Rockwall, um, suffered a, a, a nervous breakdown over it. And, wow. and um, they had the apparently they had a skull there, a giant skull that they reported in the newspaper that anyone could come by the office and see and inspect it uh, until the Smithsonian came right. and yeah. confiscated it. And it was whisked away never to see the light of day again. Right. And we have these basically all over um, were these reports of the Smithsonian coming. Uh, one of my colleagues, Joe Taylor, and uh, L.A. Marzulli is, uh, is a big proponent of trying to get the Smithsonian, as well as myself, to the Freedom of Information Act for them to release what they have. Right. But they, they've been um, uh, basically very resistant. Um, so you've been personally uh, sort of stonewalled f- by the Nephilim giant remains uh, cover-up that's been going on for decades. Well, I think I think they have, and I can't prove it. Right. Uh, a lot of the evidence is now circumstantial because it's been throughout the last 150 years, and I right. wasn't alive then. But the yeah. evidence that we know of today certainly uh, there's there's a few remains that exist, um, and uh, unfortunately, um, they will not um, they will not let anyone look at it. So I don't know what they're going to do with it. Huh. Uh, Ohio is another great example. Uh, of uh, Newark up there, they uh, they found giant remains up there. So uh, uh, in New Mexico, there's 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 remains. Joe Taylor, I mentioned Joe earlier. Um, Joe Taylor is really um, has a has a wonderful book. If I can plug his book called Giants Against Evolution, and uh, he's he's really nailed it. You get you know basically. Uh, you know the the you know you get the first half of the book talks about giant humans, uh, and then the second half of the book is giant animals throughout throughout history. But hmm. Joe really nails it and and has done a wonderful job in documenting a lot of these giant um, remains that have either been exposed by people in antu- antiquity or up and through recent times. But unfortunately. Um, most of these things are, are, are either destroyed or they're never seen again or they're they're taken by the Smithsonian. And and I think there's a cover-up. Now, I'm not all big on the conspiracy thing, but, but when you don't know what to do uh, with the evidence because it doesn't fit within your theory, within your construct, and you right. don't know where to put it, well, there shouldn't be any giants if, if evolution's true. There shouldn't yeah. be any giant remains anywhere. So I think that they have really suppressed the information, and and that that really does a disservice to the public and to academia. Now, what do you think? Um, the idea of giants and the Nephilim and uh, the sons of God and, and the whole Genesis six account is by and large fairly ignored by you know most churches they don't really get into that do you think that if there is some sort of archaeological breakthrough that the church would sort of wake up to some of these things and look at 
some of these passages in a different light and and help them grasp that like, hey, you know, there was an event that these uh, these Beneha Elohim, these sons of God who came down and mated with the women and they had offspring, you know, that were called the Nephilim. And there have been several researchers that have made the uh, assumption that this is where we get our mythologies from of, you know, demigods and Hercules and stuff like that. Uh, sure. And also hybrid animals, you know, a uh, different kind yeah. of uh, mixture of uh, different species and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the type. Yeah, the Titans, all that stuff. And, and so there's a, a common thread there that I feel like the, I guess the common Christian folk will poo-poo away some of these ideas because it's too close to mythology or too close to, I don't know, fantasy or something, science fiction sounding. Listen, when, when you read the Bible, um, the Bible's full of these of these things. That, look, if people lived in those times... that. You know, truth is stranger than fiction. Right. Yeah. I, I had a person say, well, you know, this is just all too strange for me. Well, if it's too strange, don't even read the book of Revelation because <laughs> what's coming down the pipe is going to be stranger than what you've ever seen in any movie. Right. Uh, right. You know, so um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the Christians in the church, uh, just like they've done with dinosaurs, dinosaurs have been hijacked by evolution. It's an icon of evolution that they use for the kids to promote the dinosaurs. And the first thing that pops in their mind is millions of years ago right. in a land far, far away, <laughs> were dinosaurs. Uh, and I think they've done the same thing with, uh, with, the, with the giants and the Nephilim. They don't understand it because no one, uh, no one studies it. See, uh, I, well, I've got my own personal philosophy about it, and I guess I'll just go ahead and say it, but, but frankly, a lot of it's watered down, watered down Christianity, and and people are, are not being fed the meat of the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 they're 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 all on milk. And um, I say that with all loving kindness. Not all of them are like that, but most of them will not address this issue. Most of them will not talk about dinosaurs they they want to focus on on day-to-day -day stuff which is fine there's a place for that there's a place for devotionals there's a place for for bible study there's a place for you know doing those things but the the word is much much more than a uh, a, a cultural um get together it's yeah. much more than than four walls and a steeple. Right. right. Christianity right. is not about a building. It's about relationship, and it's about you and me and you and you and you. We're the church. It's not a, never about a building. Right. And so when when we get into these things, we have to be accountable. The Bible says to study to show thyself approved, a workman that needs not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we have failed to do. As a church as a whole, we don't know anything about how to study the word. Most people don't because, look, the way our culture is now, we're 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 running, we're on the go, we're eating in the car, you know, we're, you know, it, it, uh, you know. Unfortunately, we just a lot of people have busy lives, and to sit down and really take the time to study anything, just to sit down and read a book. I'm a book guy. I love I love books. I got a library full of books. But just to sit down and read a book anymore is hard to do. To sit down and find time just to do what you love to do, whatever that may be, going fishing, uh, reading a book, 
whatever hobby that you got, a lot of people have, have time management issues. And so I think people, people are really um, uh, have, just because of the nature of our culture, right. uh, I think that plays a big role in it too. But pastors should be really responsible for teaching the Word and to really give Christians an answer. Paul has told us that we need to have a ready answer and to give a hope with the reason uh, that we have within us to, to tell people to be instant in season and out of season, to be salt and light. And we have failed to do that. And that's why I wrote that book, Alien Agenda, The Return of the Nephilim. It's not because I believe in aliens. Right. It's because yeah. Christians do not have a fundamental understanding, nor do they have an answer to give for the UFO phenomenon or life on other planets, i.e. cosmic evolution, and how to refute it. Right. They don't know they don't know the answers to that. They don't even know how to address it. They don't know how to ask the, even ask a question that someone ask them, what do you believe about UFOs? Well, they don't know. Well, what do they believe about dinosaurs? They don't know. Well, what do you believe about giants in Genesis 6 and the Nephilim? They don't know. And so someone's got to come up with, you know, with, 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 you know, with the answer to say, this is the biblical approach to the answers for these things. The Bible is not silent on these issues. You just have to have, you have to dig this out. It's like digging for gold. Ain't nobody going to go around. If everyone picked up a gold nugget on the, on the surface, we'd all have something. But, yeah. but it's, it's, it's more than that. You have to pull out the tools and get out the shovels and get ready to dig. And people just don't want to dig in the word anymore. Right. And, and be ready to, uh, you know, to find some crazy stuff that they weren't really expecting. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump into some of this stuff because you know, you're fighting the good fight. It's the same, uh, what you're describing there are pretty much the same sentiments that both Basil and I share in this, you know, the community of believers that are sort of underground, you know, we're kind of like this alternative group um, of, yeah. uh, <laughs> Hey, the home churches are coming back, man. Yeah, definitely. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Matthew 24, we, you know, we read Jesus say, as in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the coming of the son of man. And there's been a lot of speculation on, you know, does that mean the Nephilim are coming back? Uh, does it mean, uh, because I've heard both sides of the argument, you know, you re- go on and read that passage and you see that he's talking about, oh, you know, they'll, they'll be uh, business as usual. But, you know, my argument has always sort of been business as usual in the days of Noah was hybrid giants walking around, you know, and, yeah, and part yeah. of the, I know part of the issue is that we've watered down that story as to a kid's story, right? You know, they have a poster for the kids and it's a very nice, Oh, people were bad. They were hitting, you know, each other over the head with sticks or something. So God was angry yeah. and he flooded the earth. Well, there's a lot more to it. Now your, your title uh, has the return of the Nephilim. Is that sort of just a, uh, just a play on words or do you actually believe that, that we are going to see Nephilim come back? Well, um, you know, when I started studying about the Nephilim and, and, and the UFO phenomenon, I, I really had to address this um, from a biblical point of view, and that's why I wrote the book, but also to give, you know, uh, the New Agers an opportunity to, to look at, you know, this through a biblical viewpoint. Look, if you're going to study every book in the world, you know, you might as well pick up the Bible and see what it has to say if you're going to be open to all the others. So, so 
Um, yeah, I think I, it. You know, I, I yes, I do think that the Nephilim is going to come back. Um, some people think that they're already here. Some people think no, they're never coming back. Um, and I've got good friends that 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 believe both. I, I do happen to believe that those Nephilim are going to come back. And there's a you know there's a reference over in Daniel. Um, Daniel two. that says that. Um, that they will mix themselves uh, with the seed of men, right? And they shall not cleave to each other, mm-hmm. and 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 so you have to, you know, when when Daniel's looking at these, you know, when Daniel interprets that statue for for Nebuchadnezzar, and this really this really kind of blew me away. But you know, when when the king had that dream and said, I can't remember the dream, you know, and yeah. and, and and Daniel was called up to interpret the dream. Yeah, and he said, uh, you know, you dreamed of the statue. There was a head of gold, uh, which was uh, which was Babylon, which is the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which was him. This represents the Gentile empires, by the way. the 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 the, the chest and the arms of silver were the Medo Persian Empire, which was to come next. The belly and the thighs of brass was the king of Greece, and we all know who that was. He's called the rough goat, by the way, in the Bible. <laughs> um, that was Alexander the Great. You had the two legs of iron, which some say are Rome, and then uh, which I, I don't believe that, but that was the next world empire. And but but here's what I want to get down to: those ten toes, those ten toes, and that's it. That's the last of the Gentile rule. And guess <laughs> where we're going to be at here, coming down the pike here soon, is down to those ten toes. That's the same. Ten horns of Revelation is the ten toes of Daniel, and it's iron mixed with miry clay, and they do not cleave to each other. Right. Mm. The point is, is that they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and they shall not cleave to each other. And you have to ask yourself, who is the they? Because if the they is those fallen angels, and they are mixing themselves with the seed of men again, guess what we're going to have? We're going to have a return of Genesis 6. Right. All over again when the Nephilim are going to be back. Right. What is the purpose of the Nephilim? And you have to ask then, what is this UFO phenomenon about when you're having cattle mutilations? And look, people in South Texas and 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 and, and, and you know all over the South here who are cattle farmers, they're ranchers. They have no agenda to say they saw anything, especially UFO. Right, right. These guys, okay, they they chew tobacco and they they say, you know, uh, they, they're, they're, they're they're rough guys, you know. <laughs> it, it, you know, they have they have no agenda to say that they saw anything. Why would they ever claim that something mutilated their cow and they don't know what it was? Right, right. So you have right. these issues going on. And you have to ask yourself, what is going on when people are abducted, when cattle and, and other animals are mutilated? There's something, there's something weird going on. It's undeniable. It's, 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 it's a proven fact. Uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask the question: Is something going on that was going on back in the days of what? Back right. in the days of Noah, back in those days, what was going on? And if you read the, the um, apocryphal books of the book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees and the book of Jasher, now I know it's not doctrinal, it's not canonical in the Bible, 
that historically, maybe you can gain some insight. And I'm not saying it's all truth. I don't know. Right, right, but it's right. very, very intriguing. Yeah. And it's very eye-opening when you start reading those uh, because it gives you a lot more insight historically in what was going on. And, and if any of that is true, guess what? There was some strange stuff going on. There was some titans. There was some of these weird cross animal human cross hybrids that were going on. And you have to ask yourself, what was the purpose of that? It was a corruption of the original by Satan. Satan can never create. He can only corrupt. Right. So what's the purpose now living today? This is 2012. What would be the purpose of all this going on now? And the reason I wrote this book is to give an answer for that is because Listen, when we get down to those ten toes, guess where we're going to be at? We're going to be in the times. We're going to be in the times of the end. We're talking the Battle of Armageddon and the Tribulation. This is going to be it. Those ten, those ten toes and those ten horns of Revelation. That's it. That's the last of the Gentile rule. And so now, what you have is that coming Antichrist kingdom that's gearing up for a battle. And that battle is to battle the second coming of Christ. Because the armies of the world are gathered together at the Valley of Megiddo, and they're there to do what? They're there to do battle against the Lord and the saints. And so why would they ever do that? You have to ask, it's like, it's like, if, you, it's like if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings, and you've got these two great armies. You've got that, the battle you know, between good and evil, and you see all these forces gearing up for battle, and the Nephilim are going to be part of them. Right. And there's a, a researcher that we've interviewed. Um, his name's Rob Skiba. And I think, I, I yes. think yeah, he, I think he's yes. in your neck of the woods. He's a great guy, by the way. I've been on his show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he speculated that perhaps he, he sort of extended the definition of Nephilim and said that maybe Nephilim is more of, um, you know, because it just means fallen ones, it could mean just a genetic abomination, just something that where the lines of the species or, you know, our kind uh, were crossed. And in that sense, what we're doing in labs, you know, our bi biology labs and things like that are sort of akin to what these fallen angels did. And, um, you know, I find that whole side of things interesting as well. And as you know, with Canary Cry Radio, we talk a lot about technology and transhumanism and, uh, yeah. you know, just this concept, you know, we believe it's a spiritually led charge yeah. of the Antichrist. That certainly is a very plausible idea that Rob, Rob has. Um, I, I, yeah, I do think that that's certainly plausible. They can certainly be doing that. Right. Um, could it be, you know, that they're doing it that way instead of the old way? Uh, you know, with the with the Genesis six thing, I don't know, but certainly these mutilations and these abductions going on. Now we don't get into abductions in the book very much, but I did have an I did have an opportunity to interview uh, Travis Walton, oh, wow. Rise in Roswell, New Mexico, with the book. And Travis Walton, you know, is the center for Fire in the Sky. Right. Uh, he did a movie of it. Very famous abduction, I think, back in the seventies. And um, I asked Mister Walton. Um, I said, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. And I said, what would you do different, knowing what you know now? It, going back, what would you have done different? He said, well, I would have tried to remember some facts and just tried to remember the event, you know, and, and get some more data. And I said, that's, that's not really what I'm asking you. I said, I said, would you have ever gotten out of that pickup? 
And he said no. See, he rushed that light. He got out of that pickup and he rushed that light. Right. And I could tell when Travis told me that, and after all these years, you could tell uh, there was something. There was something that still bothered him. There was something he didn't have peace. Uh, and and I could tell it it's it 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 took something from him. It took something from his soul. It took something from his from his emotions. And and it it I could tell he was being very very candid with me when he said he would have never rushed out loud. And I'm talking this man had a movie made about it. He's got a book about it, and he would have given all that up if he had just never had that experience. And I have to tell people this is 99% of the cases that we've studied uh, for the book, 99% of them are not Christians who are abducted. They are not. That leaves less than 1%. And so the question is, is, well, why are the 1% abducted if they claim to be Christian? And here's the one case that we found. The lady was Christian. Um, but here's the difference in her case is that she wished for an encounter. And when they came, they didn't force her. They didn't abduct her against her will. She didn't lose three, four hours of time. Now, in Travis Walton's case, he lost a week of time. And they started the murder investigation on his case when a week later he suddenly popped up and he was naked and couldn't really remember anything very well at the time in, in, a, in an obvious state of, of uh, shock. But she wished for an encounter, and when they came, they simply invited her, and she accepted their invitation. Right. And the Bible says to guard your heart and your mind and to test the spirits. And even if another angel comes preaching another gospel to you, it says in Galatians, and it's not the gospel, Paul says, that I preached unto you, do not accept it. Right. So, so, you know, what's going on with this, I think— Certainly, Rob's Rob's case is very plausible that they are gearing up and genetically altering another hybrid race for this upcoming Antichrist came, kingdom. Because listen, they're gearing up for the next great battle, and that's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to usher in the tribulation, that Antichrist, and it's going to be hell on earth. But people can miss all that; they don't have to go through it. And that's that's the message of hope that I bring in the book. Actually, is um, is that you don't have to go through any of this. And that lady didn't have to go through her abduction experience. Um, we have the mind of Christ. We are protected. And as long as you are within the realm of that protection, um, then, then there's nothing that can, that can uh, harm you in that fashion. Unfortunately, people have opened themselves up through occultic practices willingly, or through just um, through just willingness to have an experience, right. and they've all said they've all said that they've had a fearful experience. They would never do it again. They were paralyzed. They had no power. They um, they've they've had nightmares. It's been a it's it's been a very terrifying experience for uh, probably ninety nine point nine percent of the people who's ever done that. Uh, had that experience, and it's just a, it's just a, uh, an evil. It's an evil, evil presence. Right, and right. there's uh, the research of Joe Jordan uh, down there at CE4 Research that I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he's uncovered 
some cases that the normal, I guess, public UFO community doesn't really talk about or doesn't like talking about because they don't know what to do with it. But it's the idea that when people are having the experience, when they call upon the name of Jesus, it's right. It stops, you know, it's right. The experience stops and they've had similar uh, accounts. Chris White and uh, Tom Bionic have also um, been researching the same phenomenon in sleep paralysis. And the, uh, the evidence is compelling in that it's very consistent. (laughs) You know, it's, it is, it is that, you know, you just nailed it right there. It is a consistency with every story uh, that, that, that's exactly right. And the other consistency is this, is that they immediately release their power when the name of Jesus is called. And, and that's true. You, you, you nailed it right on the head. Right. And, and I remember hearing that, and that's, that was a really big uh, moment for me to grasp what was going on yes. with this U- UFO yeah. phenomenon yeah. And, uh, and how it relates to the Bible and how... Um, God's authority is ultimate, and, and it just reinforced that idea. But uh, part of the journey that I went through was, you know, I became a believer, I accepted Christ, and then about a year or two afterwards, I started to wane because I started asking these questions about UFOs and ghosts and demons and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, one of the uh, places that I found answers, which weren't really good answers, was, you know, YouTube or just, you know, different articles and stuff like that all having their own take on what the UFO phenomenon is and and whatnot. And um, one of the ideas that was really promoted was this cosmic evolution that we uh, uh, kind of like what you, I guess you wrote about um, in this idea of uh, directed panspermia or, or even just a a, a guided sort of uh, uh, intelligent uh, evolution, uh, a theistic evolutionary kind of view where, you know, we evolved and, you know, these beings, there's, there's higher beings and they're here to help us evolve to the next level. And, yeah. you know, that whole craze, what was your point of uh, entry into that? And, and how did you break down these arguments? Oh, that's a great question. Well, basically when, when you start looking at the UFO phenomenon, I had to go back and, and I, I we dress it, you know, I co-authored the book with Dr. Michael McDaniel. Um, and, uh, so we address the, the book from a theological point of view, but we also address it. My part was the archeological point of view throughout history, what we're seeing. And, um, to me, there was, there was such, you know, overwhelming evidence for these things, um, that, that it's, it's easily, uh, seen that there's another influence going on that that's battling for the control of the souls of men and and we've seen it throughout 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 the history of our of our existence and so basically um you know there's a part in the book i write about um with uh, whitley strever's case he wrote he wrote a book called communion right. and uh basically whitley admitted that um, he was powerless over these creatures when they came. Yeah, uh, they did whatever they wanted. Uh, he lost hours of time. He had a, he was at a hotel one time and he had a knock on the door. It's a very unusual man. Um, stood in his doorway, and uh, the man started to impart this knowledge to him. And he, Whitley said in his book that he stood motionless for two hours in the doorway 
and uh, it was it was a weird event. Um, but but Whitley asked him a very strange question, kind of out of the blue. And he asked the man. He said, "What is sin?" Huh. And the man and the the man, okay, simply said, "Sin is the denial of the right to thrive." Hmm. And huh. and um, now <laughs> Whitley should have Whitley should have caught on, but he 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 was kind of used to these these visitations and uh, and actually sought him out because of the knowledge he was getting from them. Right. And the man handed him what looked like a cup of milk and he drank it. And then he stumbled back to his bed and he, I mean, he, I mean, he was out. So whatever that was, he drank kind of sealed this unholy communion that he had. But I thought that man's answer, if he indeed was a man, and I don't think he was, but his answer was very intriguing that sin was the denial of the right to thrive. Huh. Yeah, now, that is fascinating. Now, and, and so I quote that in the book. Um, but you have to understand that that Whitley's, you know, guide, if you will, was a guide named uh, a guide named Ashtar. Mm-hmm. And, and if you if if you ever have studied the Bible, and right. you, and if you ever went back to the Old Testament, a lot of people don't like to do that. But if you go backwards <laughs> and go back to the Old Testament, you can read. <laughs> You understand that Ashtar was a god of the queen of heaven. Remember, those, the Israelites were baking cakes to the queen. Uh, they called her Ishtar right. back then. But Ashtar, Ishtar worship is the same thing, and it's a goddess. And this fallen angel or demon was posing as Ashtar to Whitley Strieber. He's, I'm not making it up. He, he clearly states it in his book. Right. And so, But what they were doing was advancing him to the next stage of evolution and that we're here to help you. We're here to advance mankind to the next age. And look, when I saw this connection, and I write, I write a chapter in the book called The Evolution Connection, and when I saw this, and the reason I wrote this book is because of this, when I saw The Evolution Connection, because my ministry has been in creation evolution for 17, 18 years, well, I don't have any interest in aliens. I really don't have any interest in writing books about UFOs, but what I do have an interest in is refuting evolution. And when I saw that cosmic evolution and the panspermia come into effect, that scientists 20 years ago would have never, ever claimed scientifically that life was seeded from other planets. Why are they doing it now? Why is there such a paradigm shift in their thinking? And the reason is is because they know evolution has never occurred on this planet, but it has to be maybe from elsewhere. So they jump on the bandwagon. And look, Richard Dawkins in that film uh, that Ben Stein did, No Intelligence Allowed, was a great documentary on this. And when Ben Stein asked Dawkins, you know, he said, yes, that he did agree that life was seeded from other planets. Right. He talked about, talk about philosophy, talk about religion. This is totally unscientific, but this is what they're doing. And so when I saw the connection, but specifically the evolution connection with this, Panspermia, cosmic evolution, ancient alien theory. And by the way, the interview you did, y'all guys did with Chris White on uh, ancient aliens debunk was great. Everyone needs to listen to that interview and then go watch the documentary Chris White did on ancient aliens debunk because I have been wanting to do that for a long time. Uh, I, matter of fact, I've, I, I had to go back and, and and watch a lot of those so I could kind of get you know what they were saying on the other side. 
right. when I was doing research for the book. And uh, matter of fact, the History Channel uh, had some of my work on there on the dinosaurs. And I was a little concerned about that because I told them, look, you cannot be having these dinosaurs coming from ancient aliens. I, you know, that's just not going to happen. But, <laughs> but, um, uh, but I've been wanting to kind of uh, refute that myself. And, and, and so that, I, that was just a great interview and, and the great job that y'all did where, and uh, Chris White did with the film. Well, thank uh, you very much. Shooting that. But, but when, when, when I saw this evolution connection, I realized that, uh, that here's the next stage. It's not a physical evolution. The next stage is coming down the pike. And I believe it connects with the UFO phenomenon that will usher in the kingdom. It's a foreshadow, you understand. There's things, that, types of foreshadows in the Bible and the UFO phenomenon and this cosmic evolution is just a foreshadow of the thing to come. The Antichrist will, pay, will play a role in that. And I don't know how exactly will play out. But here's what I think will happen is that somehow they will use that to say, we are from another, you know, another planet. We're, we're, we're more intelligent, we're, we're higher evolved, uh, we got advanced technology, we're here to help you. And, and look, it's the, it's the common theme in a lot of these movies and sci-fi is that we're here to save you from yourself. We're here to save mankind. We're here to help you. But specifically, the evolution connection is this, that we will usher in your next stage of evolution, and that is that you can become your own gods. Right. That's what this whole thing is about. Right. And when the light came on, boom, I realized, hey, it's that same line back in Genesis. Hmm. You Genesis shall three. never die. Right. And you can achieve godhood without, guess what, without God. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's Shirley McLean's. I am all over again, right. and there's only one person who has that title, and that's the God of the Bible. He has the title of I am, and so this evolution connection will play a role in that we are evolved, and we are here to show you your next stage of evolution. By the way, the Christians were impeding that because they were hindering uh, your progress, but now that we got them out of the way, however that will happen, I don't know. Right. But whatever will happen... Now we can advance you to your next stage of evolution, and that is your spiritual stage. You're all going to become gods. Just do what we do. We're going to lead the way. We're going to show you. But guess what? It's going to be a path to destruction. And people don't need to get themselves entangled with any of this stuff uh, that's going on. The Bible's very clear uh, about this, and we document in the book Alien Agenda uh, that's available at... Uh, you go to alien-agenda.com, you can, you can see the book website there. Yeah, well, definitely, uh, you know, you're not the first to bring this stuff up. I think that the Holy Spirit's really speaking to a lot of us with this topic, with this subject matter, because there's, you know, talk about consistency. Uh, there's a lot of researchers saying very similar things uh, as, as to what you're saying. And we're really, I think, starting to understand scripture in a, in a very different way in our time and, and what we see happening around the world. And, um, you know, just as part of, uh, you know, just a commentary on some of the things you said to even give it an, an extra little nudge. And I think a lot of, uh, the listeners will know this, but the same ideology that you mentioned, Genesis three, uh, the lie there right. that caused the fall, uh, this, this is consistent, not just with the evolution, you know, concept, but also in all of the esoteric and occult 
you know, historically the mystery religions, which again, just the new age movement, which is not new as most know that research this, it's all the same. It's really all the same. And that should cause anyone who is really uh, neck deep into the new age movement to consider or reconsider some of their theology. But uh, yeah, great work, Aaron Judkins. Absolutely. You, your, your, uh, your work is definitely, and, it, and it's really great too because you know, uh, it's one thing for us, uh, you know, podcasters to talk about this stuff. But when you get, you know, a credible archaeologist out here talking about <laughs> this stuff, it just gives it a little more weight, you know, a little more credibility. So, absolutely, Aaron Judkins. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I enjoyed it. Definitely feisty. I like you, man. Um, I'm gonna keep. <laughs> Try to get fired up, don't I? <laughs> you do, you do. But it's good. It it makes it so I can uh, I can live vicariously through you getting fired up. So yeah, uh, Doctor Aaron Judkins. Everybody, make sure to go to AaronJudkins.com. That's A A R O N J U D K I N S. Dot com. Yeah, or they can go to the book website at uh, alien-agenda.com. Give us that, Check too. out the book website there. By the way, we had a new film coming out uh, that was released yesterday. And uh, people What's go that check called? it out where there. Can, where can they find that? It's called uh, Hidden Mountain and the uh, Las Lunas Mystery Stone. And it talks about the Decalogue on, uh, out there in the, the deserts of New Mexico. Paleo-Hebrew... In the desert of New Mexico, Ooh. and so we do a we do a documentary on that. There's a big uh, debate on what that was, and so we just took the man versus archaeology crew out there, and we did a documentary on it. Took some scholars out there, and uh, that film was released yesterday. They can go to AaronJudkins.com or they can go to Facebook.com uh, for slash uh, man versus archaeology. You can find me on Facebook there, man versus archaeology. And uh, the film is released. It's on YouTube, the full version, or you can get a free DVD if you cover shipping and handling. Uh, we'll ship you the free uh, DVD for that. But you can go on YouTube and watch it. I got linked up on the website and Facebook side as well. Awesome. Well, I know I will definitely be doing that, and everybody should uh, be doing that as well. Gons, that means you. And so <laughs> thanks again, what man, you, What Aaron. are you trying to say, man? I, I, I look at this stuff. I'm just saying, uh, you've got some extra time on your hands, and I think um, I this, this might be the way to spend it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in and listening to Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next week for another thrilling episode. And until next time, think outside the cage. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on StumbleUpon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.